0: Grab your Bibles, let's get started. We are picking back up in the book of 1 Kings. We are at chapter 9. 1 Kings, chapter 9. Now, Heavenly Father, as we focus our thoughts on your word, we pray that the Spirit would enable us to understand and then to grasp what it is you're saying, to each one of our hearts. Lord, what a sobering, potentially life-changing uh, passage here tonight. So help us, Lord, to, to be listening with the Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, some Christians mistakenly believe that choosing to follow Christ is kind of a one-time thing, a choice we make only one time in life. But actually, uh, we face the choice of following Christ every day and every moment, uh, all day long. Am I gonna go with God's plan or my plan? Uh, In all of our daily transactions, all day long, are we gonna respond with our natural inclination? Or are we going to respond in the Holy Spirit or according to the scriptures? Am I going to forgive or am I going to choose not to and hold a grudge? Am I going to choose to stand up and kind of put myself in an uncomfortable situation for the truth? Or am I going to hold back? Am I going to resist temptation or resist the devil? Or am I going to give in? Am I going to walk by faith? Or am I going to just walk by sight? Every day, moment by moment. Yeah, I mean we come to Christ once when we ultimately give Him our lives. But after that salvation experience, our blessing, our reward in the life to come, all comes down to day-to-day choices to choose to follow every single moment of our Christian life. So here in 1 Kings chapter nine, God must in a dramatic way remind King Solomon who is said to be the wisest man that ever lived. He has to remind him uh, that walking with God and experiencing God's blessing is all about making daily choices, even after 20 years. So here in 1 Kings nine, Solomon has been reigning for 20 years and he's had two massive Building projects, seven years with the temple, thirteen years on his own palace complex, all the buildings and what have you. Uh, Building this magnificent temple for the Lord with the supernatural glory. You'll you'll recall last time uh, there was a dedication. There was supernatural appearance of the Lord filling the temple. And even after all of that, now the Lord has to come to Solomon and say, "You need to keep choosing to love and obey." You need to keep choosing to love and to be faithful to me if you want to see my best. Verses one through nine. When Solomon had finished building the temple of the Lord and the royal palace and and had achieved all he had desired to do, the Lord appeared to him a second time as he appeared to him at Gibeon. That was in chapter three. The Lord said to him, I have heard the prayer and plea you have made before me. I have consecrated this temple which you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. Now as for you, if you walk before me in integrity of heart and uprightness as David your father did, and do all I command and observe my decrees and laws, I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever, as I promised David your father, when I said, you shall never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. But if you, and that word you there is plural, so he's you and Israel, or your sons, Turn away from me and do not observe the commands and decrees I have given you and go off to serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land I have given them and will reject this temple I have consecrated for my name. Israel will then become a byword or a joke and an object of ridicule among all peoples. And though this temple is now imposing, all who pass by will be appalled and will scoff and say, why has the Lord done such a thing to this land and to this temple? People will answer, because they have forsaken the Lord their God who brought their fathers up out of Egypt and have embraced other gods worshiping and serving them, that is why the Lord brought all this disaster on them. All righty, so if you're taking notes, uh, the first point will be the Lord appears to Solomon now for a second time. Now Solomon has reigned, uh, will reign for 40 years. So he's at the 20-year point. And he's uh, going into a new phase of life and ministry. So the Lord is going to be very gracious to him, to come to him and give him a heads up and a warning That's very important. He's saying, you know, hey, I know you got 20 years under your belt. I know you're Solomon, (laughs) the wisest man on the face of the planet. I know there's nobody like you in the whole earth because of my own favor toward you. But I do have a word for you. Obey me. Choose me. Keep choosing. Keep choosing me. Now, success really can test a person's soul. Um, Really, an accomplishment or achievements often precede a spiritual downfall. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, uh, G. Campbell Morgan put it really best. It was the hour when the accomplishment of work means the relaxation of effort. That is always a perilous hour, and the greater the work done, the graver the peril, a life which has been full of activity when that activity ceases, demands some new interest and will find it either high or low, noble or ignoble, that's G. Campbell Morgan. He's saying, you know, he's been busy, he's been at work, he's been pursuing the dream and the dream has been accomplished and now he's gonna go into living day to day and the Lord is saying, listen, you're very vulnerable. Now, And if you want the next 20 years to go well, you need to keep choosing me. Now the fact that God appears to him uh, to set him up for success makes Solomon's fall all the more egregious. Solomon is going to fail this test. From here on out, starting from pretty much after chapter 10, he goes into a death spiral. And you can just kind of sense that that's going to happen because the Lord is kind of underlining it here. He's giving him a positive promise about keeping the dream alive. This is how you do it. And then a negative promise. And this is how you'll ruin everything. Two two promises. If you do this, I'm going to bless you this way. And if you do that, I'm going to let things come undone. So we're going to take a... I'll look at that. I do want to say when God takes the time to speak to your heart about a specific area that is a concern to him, when he takes the time to underline something in the scriptures that pops out to you and you go, whoa, wow, I get it. Wow, how did you, you know, you know, and the Holy Spirit knows that you've been uh, adequately warned This is a problem area for you. I want you to stay away from it. Warning. When God takes the time to do that, however he does it, he has a lot of ways to talk to us. It's important. It's a significant event. God is just not like killing time, like he's bored up there. You know, (laughs) I don't have anything to do today, so I'm just going to come down and talk to you about some random issue in your life. If God Almighty is saying, hey, need your attention here, whoa, watch out, yellow caution tape right around here, it's a significant event worth paying Attention! I don't know what it is about our sinful nature, but we just kind of excuse those things. Or, we, or when, when they register, it's like, whoa, God's really talking to me here. We, we just forget about it. But we don't just forget about it. We willfully forget about it. If you want to remember something, you remember it. But if you want to forget about it because it's too hard to remember it with the consequences it will uh, entail... Then you will find a way to forget. Proverbs 27, verse 21 says, The crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but a person is tested by the praise they receive. And like I said, Solomon is going to fail. Dr. Ray Pritchard, uh, he is the founder of Keep Believing Ministries and an author. He's written a billion books. Uh, here's what he says Our strengths. And accomplishments bring an unseen danger for four reasons. Number one, they may cause us to believe we are better than we really are. Number two, they may lead us to think we deserve what we have. Number three, they may blind us to our own weaknesses. And number four, it may lead to a place where we no longer think we need the Lord. Check, 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 Solomon. Solomon is the poster child for one of the greatest failures in the entire Bible. He was a great man and did great things, but failure to reach your God-given potential the potential here is saying, if you do this, man alive, I mean, I'll establish you and your lineage and your, your heirs and all of this. When the gap is huge between uh, what you have become because of your unfaithfulness and where God wanted you to be with his gifts and callings, when there's a big significant gap like that, I don't care what you've done in the past, you have failed and Solomon is going to fail. Okay, to the text, God knows uh, Solomon's in a vulnerable place, so he puts it first in a positive promise. Here's how to keep this dream alive, verses four and five, and then he'll go to a negative promise. Here's how to ruin everything, verses six through nine. Now, the amazing thing to me is to keep the dream alive and to keep yourself from massive ruin. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. You know what he's going to end up really saying? He says, I love you, Will you love me back. Love me back. Just love me back, and you'll be safe. You'll fulfill everything if you just love me back after all that I've done for you. Just love me back, please, for your own good, because he wants to bless us. So first he says, uh, first of all, I've heard your, your prayer, and yes, an amen to the prayer about the temple. I love the place. I, I mean, any place where there's going to be the blood of the lamb and water that cleanses and incense that goes up from the coals of the fire where the blood drips down, the altar of incense going up into the, the, the fragrance there of heaven, which just speaks of Christ. Of course, I'm going to answer the prayers. Of course, I'm going to meet you in this place. Of course, this place is going to be a hallowed place, a holy place. You know, not only will my eyes be there, he says, verse three, but I'll up you on this. I mean, my eyes will be there. Yeah, like you pray, but my heart, my heart will be there where you're pleading and invoking the name of the Lord, where the blood and the water and the bread of life and the light of the world, where all that's coming together in the greater than temple, which is Jesus. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Of God. So he's saying, Of course, I've heard your prayer. I'm going to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, right? But then he goes to, on to say, But will any of that matter if you don't walk with me, if you don't love me, <laughs> if you're straying from me, if you're cheating on me, if you're sinning, if you're worshiping some other God? What will it matter about the temple? if you're not walking with me. And that's gonna be a real theme. and in Jesus, you know, you might look at the, the promise about the temple and say, boy, I wish I had that kind of promise. You do. Jesus is the greater temple, as Jesus called himself, standing in the temple. He kind of said, hey, you know, this whole thing is about me. And in my name, ask whatever you want, John 15, verse 16. Ask in my name anything, the Father will give it to you. That's a real mysterious thing. It's a promise nonetheless. And so we have that in Jesus, the blood, the water, the washing, the the bread, everything about that temple scene, the abiding presence of God, the abundant mercy. 24-7, ask what you will in my name and the Father will give it, but none of it will matter a, a hair if you're not walking with me if you're doing your own thing, how will you enjoy my blessing? So he says, number one, here's the positive thing. He says, walk before me. Now, now when, when the Bible uses the word walk, even in Hebrew, it means to live, live before me. What an interesting phrase, would you just live before me? In other words, he's saying, not part of your life, but live your whole life in the conscious awareness that I am the whole deal with you, that I'm the lover of your soul. I'm in your thoughts, I'm in your kitchen, I'm in your bedroom, I'm at work, I'm on the way to school, I'm in the car, I'm in your downtime, I'm in your busy time. Would you just walk before me? In all your ways, acknowledge me. In all your ways, not just a little pocket or corner or, uh, of your life. Walk before me, all right? And then he says, in integrity, of heart, and the word there is wholehearted devotion. Like your father David, well this was a relief for me to read, like your father David. Oh phew, (laughs) he's not asking for something Solomon can't give and he's not asking ever for a Christian, uh, for something a Christian cannot give. David passionately loved God, but he had a lot of failures. So he's saying, could you just love me? Just love me like your dad loved me. Your dad just loved me. He, he blew it a lot and in serious ways, but the overall bent of his life was a passion for me. Look at the Psalms. This guy was in love with me. That's all he ever thought about. Sing to the Lord, sing to the Lord, for he is good, his love endures forever. He just loved me. Is it that hard to love me? What an offense to somebody when you love them more than they love you back and after you've given so much to them and they don't love you. God is saying, is, am I that hard to love? Seriously, am I that hard to be with every day? I made you, I love you, I bless you, I died for you. I go in to prepare a place for you I protect you from the evil one I give you everything you need I open my hand and satisfy the longings of every living thing is it that hard to love me and not go serving some other god or goddess seriously you guys are quiet (laughs) (laughs) you do know I'm hearing the sermon as well sometimes I listen to them it's hard, <laughs> but I listen to them. All right, not sinless uh, perfection. So here's the negative. So, oh, by the way, that word that uh, I'll establish you. Uh, and, and then he says, if you walk in uprightness, the word in Hebrew, I love it, is straight. If you shoot straight with me, he's saying, if you please don't play games with me, don't go crooked on me, don't, don't play games with me. Uh, That's not, I won't bless that. Doesn't like it. Now, put in a negative way, six through nine, if you're half-hearted, if you reserve for yourself your little area that I'm not allowed in, (laughs) uh, your little love interests, whatever that is, if you turn from me or go crooked on me, you, plural, and Israel will be cut off from the land, verse seven. Now, that means you'll be unable to enjoy the inheritance. What, what I gave you to enjoy, a land full of milk and honey, overflowing, right? Uh, you may always be my people, but you're not getting the, the, the milk and the honey. All right, that's not how the deal works. The deal isn't that uh, you just come to me and have faith in me and then I'm supposed to just lavish upon you a life filled flowing with milk and honey and you could live however you want. That doesn't work. Uh, you may not earn your salvation, but if you want to enjoy your salvation, you will cooperate with me. Now, uh, uh, one quote here that I enjoyed, you don't get to enjoy the promise." Uh, when you continually spurn the promise giver. Now, sadly, when he says, you know what, I'll just take you out of the promised land. I put you in it. (laughs) I I gave it to you. I'll take it away. Really easy. All right? We're not talking about salvation. Let's establish it. You don't earn that. You receive it. It's a done deal. We're talking about enjoying your inheritance, being who God has uh, made you to be. Right, And so sadly, uh, the northern ten tribes in 722 B.C., Assyria comes in and takes them out, all of them, takes them away to Turkey, Iraq, and some parts of Syria. That's Assyria, right? And then the, 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 the southern two tribes held out, for a couple hundred more years, so around 586 BC, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar comes in for the bottom two, for the southern two tribes, and takes them out of the land. Now you have no Jews in Israel. Why? He wouldn't listen. They wouldn't listen. So he says, "You, you don't get the land flowing with milk and honey, and give me rude gestures you know what I'm saying? You didn't get to do that. So he takes them away. Now when they cry for 70 years or so, the Lord feels sorry for them and says, okay, I'll bring you back, all right? But then uh, he says, listen, uh, don't forget about the temple because the temple will be destroyed. Not only will you not have the land, but you won't get the temple as well. So uh, they're all excited about this temple, right? but it gets destroyed that second time in 586 B.C. by Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, The Lord allows them to rebuild it when they come back and then Herod maxes the place out and it looks beautiful, so much so that Matthew 24, the disciples, Peter, James, and John say, hey, Jesus, take a look at this building. Look at the stones. It was a sight to behold and the Lord said, oh, Not one of these stones is going to be placed on top, but they'll all be leveled and destroyed. Why? God's whole point to Solomon is, what good is a temple or a worship center or a profession of faith when you're not walking with God? (laughs) What's the point? You don't even need this. So since you won't walk with me, I'm going to take away the temple and level it. Yeah. Why should anybody be upset about it? When you're not walking with God, you know what he said in Matthew 15 about the Pharisees. He goes, Isaiah was so right when he prophesied about you guys. These people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are a million miles from me. Isaiah 29 and verse 13. I threw in the million miles part, but (laughs) it was far, so I put in a million miles. In fact, when the Lord starts thinking about the temple and all the practices going on there with their hearts far away, so they're living to- like to- total pagans for many, many, many years, right? And they're coming, to doing their thing at that temple. Here's what he says in Isaiah. paraphrased, chapter one. I can't stand your worship services. They are detestable, and I'm weary of bearing them. Your sacrifices at the temple don't mean a thing to me when your heart is far from me. When you offer your prayers and come to worship like that, I'm not listening. Get right with me and stop doing wrong. That's Isaiah chapter one. It's one of the most refreshing scriptures for me. I like those kinds of slaps in the face because it's, it just makes so much sense. The Lord is like, you know, when He says to the disciples, what are you, What's all this Lord, Lord stuff? You're always calling me Lord this, Lord Jesus, Lord God, Lord God. And then you, don't, you do your own thing. Well, what is that about? <laughs> We condemn ourselves if we're not going to live up to the first word of our prayer, Lord Jesus. This morning, I just come to you. Lord, kurios in the Greek, it means supreme authority. So all God's saying is this. I, I, I pretty much know you're all sinners and you struggle with that. And the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. But if you, you, I gave you the Holy Spirit, I know this much. You can love me you can walk with me, I could be your first love. And not expecting you little perfect moral robots, but I am expecting some faithfulness there. And so furthermore, he's not done yet. Oh, and by the way, this same message is not an Old Testament message. Uh, The New Testament, the whole book of Hebrews, do you wanna be blessed? Follow God. Go forward with Christ, don't go backwards. The book of Galatians, the book of Romans. How about the, the seven letters to the churches in Revelations two and three, Revelation two and three? What about that? You've lost your first love, repent. All of the, these exhortations, it's not just an Old Testament thing. Walk with me and be blessed, turn from me and come undone. That's not an Old Testament message, it's a New Testament message. Amen? Amen. I know, we're all thinking. (laughs) So, furthermore, he says, and by the way, as you and your work comes undone in your unfaithfulness, your so-called Christian life will become a joke and all that effort and work up to that point will mean nothing. Everyone will roll their eyes and mock. Oh, yes, praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Now look at them. Hebrews, uh, Hebrews, in the Hebrew, verse 8 says, everyone will pass by and look at your unraveled life and hiss, it says. King James has hiss because it really is hiss. They will mock. They will ridicule you. Now, we see this all the time. Very famous Christian uh, ministries, powerful, effective ministers, and and influential, wonderful Christian families just come undone because somebody is going to find themselves. They wake up one morning and decide, you know, I'm not happy. Where does it say anywhere in the Bible that you're supposed to be happy? And what does that mean? You're supposed to be filled with joy, picking up your cross and denying self and following Christ. The day you wake up and say, hey, you know what? I'm not happy. (laughs) You've been watching too much Oprah. That's all I have to say. (laughs) And Dr. Oz and all your other mentors. Please turn off the TV and open the Bible. Amen? All right, all right, all right people, Uh, here's what God's saying to him, you know what, buddy, your life will unfold, the temple will be taken down, you'll just be a mess, but I'll use your unraveled life as a teaching and as a witness to those people. Now, I would prefer to use your life as, as as a testimony of a life of obedience brings my blessing. That's what he does. That's what he wants. Look at these people. They're sitting on a hill. Look at the way they love one another. Look at the way I bless them. Look at the way they obey. But if you don't do that, I'll still use you to teach a lesson. But the lesson will be, look what happens when you turn your back on the God who has brought them up out of slavery and shed his own blood for their sins. Look look what happens when you betray him and the Lord is against you because you are unfaithful. Look what happens. So I've told you this before. I'm going to tell you again if you don't mind. Uh, a minister and I, a million years ago, walking out of somebody's house, the wife caught him cheating on her. And we got called in to referee. Oh, my word. I don't have words to explain. The grief, the, the horror, the screaming, the chaos, the babies in the background, the kids, the fear, the grief, I, I can't describe it to you. And as I walked out, it was either I said it or the other guy said it, but one of us said Remind me not to be unfaithful to my wife. And the other one said, yeah, yeah, right? Just, I know, right? It's just like, we don't ever need to read Thou Shalt Do Anything. We, you know, I just lived through this vicariously and saw the fruit of pornography, pornography, of letting your thoughts go, of playing the game with God, of isolating a little corner where you just go and you, you know subtly go down this road, and then boom, you've committed adultery, and bam, your life really, pretty much over, pretty much destroyed in a lot of ways. And everybody who knew about it could say, "That's what happens when you click." On porn, that's where it goes, right there. But I wish I could just give that video. I wish I could give that video where people come into my office and go, hey, I got a video clip for you. It's about three to five minutes long. I just want you to watch this and just play it. The wife, the shaking, the uh, and the husband. That's what the Lord's trying to do Solomon, but it falls short. Uh, it, not on the Lord's part, but because Solomon uh, has decided he's just gonna let it go in one ear and out the other. And you know, after all this, Solomon, come and I got the favor of the Lord, man, I'm covered. You know, I've seen the grace of God. The grace of God is way bigger than you could ever imagine. So I'm gonna take advantage of it. Galatians chapter six, verse seven. God is not mocked you will reap what you sow. If you sow to your sinful nature, from that nature you shall reap destruction. That's a promise, it's a promise. Conversely, if you sow to the spirit, from that nature you shall reap life and peace. Oh, do it God's way. Do it God's way and be blessed. So uh, when the Lord comes to you and warns you about an area of your life that needs attention, uh, give heed, amen? amen? Let's go a little bit further here, 10 through 14. So we've, we've had an important vision from the Lord and now a shady business deal uh, with his partner Hiram. At the end of 20 years, during which Solomon built these two buildings, the temple of the Lord and the royal palace, King Solomon gave 20 towns in Galilee to Hiram, king of Tyre, because Hiram had supplied him with all the cedar and pine and gold he wanted. But when Hiram went from Tyre to see the towns that Solomon had given him, he was not pleased with them. what kind of towns are these you've given me my brother he asked and he called them the land of kabul which means good for nothing <laughs> a name they have to this day now hiram had sent to the king uh, had sent to the king 120 talents of gold 9000 pounds of gold all right so what's happening here well Hiram is a significant character in this whole story because he's the king, the the Gentile king of Tyre, which was Lebanon, modern day Lebanon. Uh, The temple did not get built without Hiram's help, if you recall. Uh, Hiram, there was friends with David, Solomon's father, and then continued a treaty with Solomon himself. And uh, Hiram becomes business partner with King Solomon. And they have an arrangement. You remember back in the day, he says, hey, well, I could really use your cedar and a lot of your guys' help. He says, no problem. Love your dad. Love you too. Love Israel. We'll send what you need. Interesting, though, what's up here with the 4.5 tons of gold, which wasn't a part of the first contract. There's no mention of 20 towns or gold. So so what's up with that? Well, commentators say that Solomon ran out of the gold that he had. So according to 1 Chronicles 22, he had enough gold for the temple. He wants gold for his palace, for his house. So what he says is, hey, kind of short on the gold. Could you send me some gold and I'll give you 20 towns? He mortgages part of the promised land. To, to make himself rich, oh, what about that vision from the Lord, and what was the Lord saying? Could you just love me? Is this something your dad would do? is it what, what, uh, David in the promised land, can you imagine David mortgaging off twenty towns to a pagan king? Well uh, there are some missteps here uh, first of all a it 's not your it 's not your it's not yours to give, Solomon, A, all right? There's some arrogance there, and there's some coveting a luxurious lifestyle. That's a problem. And then, B, by Hiram's own estimation, the towns were not worth uh, 50 million, all right? So I don't know what towns. Uh, he, he, he gave border uh, towns. I, it would be like saying, hey, you can have Hayfork and Weaverville and weed, and I'll throw in katati, All right. <laughs> You know, the guy would say, seriously, accordion festivals, you know, this I don't need. All right. I gave you 4.5 tons of gold and you give me katati. It's not going to work. Would David do that? No, <laughs> that's not a David move with his friends. Oh, David, David's just the opposite. David, <laughs> David's generous. David doesn't try to pull a shady deal on a pagan onlooker. That's not a loving thing to do. All right, so let's finish off the chapter and then I'll make a few comments. We'll be done. 15 through to the end. Now here's the account of forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple. So we're gonna hear about all those different projects and a little bit of this and a little bit of that, all right? Uh, here's the account of the forced labor King Solomon conscripted to build the Lord's temple, his own palace, the supporting terraces, the wall of Jerusalem and Hazer, Megiddo, and Gezer. These are three important cities and we'll talk about them. Now, by the way, information, verse 16, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had attacked and captured Gezer. He set it on fire. He killed its Canaanite inhabitants and then gave it as a wedding gift to his daughter, Solomon's wife. And Solomon rebuilt it, all right? So Gezer in Israel was occupied by Canaanites. They they had survived uh, Israel moving into the promised land. And uh, Pharaoh took advantage and moved in there and decided he wanted to give that little town to his daughter. (laughs) All right, he built up now Solomon, the lower Beth Horon, Balath and Tadmor in the desert within his land as well as all the store cities and the towns for his chariots and for his horses, whatever he desired to build in Jerusalem in Lebanon and throughout all the territory he ruled. All the people left from the Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, these people were not Israelites, that is their descendants remaining in the land, whom the Israelites could not exterminate. These Solomon conscripted, uh, forced into slave labor uh, as it is to this day. But Solomon didn't make slaves of any of the Israelites, but he highly taxed them, and he did cause them to work a a third of the year. They were his fighting men, mostly. His government officials, his officers, his captains, captains, and the commanders of his chariots and charioteers. Uh, They were also the chief officials in charge of Solomon's project, 550 officials supervising the men who did the work. Now after Pharaoh's daughter had come up from the city of David, Jerusalem, to the palace Solomon had built for her, he constructed the supporting terraces. Three times a year, Solomon sacrificed burnt offerings and fellowship offerings on the altar. He had built um, for the Lord burning incense before the Lord along with them, and so fulfilled the temple obligations. King Solomon also built ships at Ezion, Geber, which is near Eloth in Edom on the shore of the Red Sea. And Hiram sent his men, sailors who knew the sea, to serve in the fleet with Solomon's men. They sailed to Ophir and brought back 420 talents of gold Uh, which they delivered to King Solomon. The point of this last few paragraphs is to show you that Solomon had a pretty good thing going. And the Holy Spirit wants you to see what kind of life he had and what he was willing to trade when temptation came his way, to not put into practice the words from the vision of the Lord, to take heed to follow and to obey. So the Holy Spirit wants, to say, wants us to see, man, he, he had a pretty good life going. God had been good to him. So a few things. Uh, first of all, he said he had slave laborers who built three cities. So on, on top of J- Jerusalem, the temple and the palace complexes, there were three cities. That were called royal store cities, and they were strategically placed throughout Israel. I have a picture of the mound there. The, it's it's called Tel Megiddo. So this is where we went. We went down into this city, this ancient ruins here. Uh, the the plain in front of that is where Armageddon will take place. Now the three tells a tell in Hebrews a hill, so Solomon made three royal store cities, command centers uh, that are still there today. They're the oldest sites around. And so the second picture, you can see a little bit where we went. Uh, we went down into, there were stalls for horses and places for their feed and their chariots. And you, I mean, it's all right there still. And we'd go down into the cistern, just a, a, amazing. But that is Megiddo there. And so thank you for that picture. Hazor, Gezer, and Megiddo were just strategic cities that were all built by the slave uh, labors. Now, the parenthetical note here is kind of interesting. One of those cities, the store cities, uh, was Gezer, and it was inhabited formerly by Canaanites. And Pharaoh said, "Those no good terrorists. They're no. We don't. Uh, we don't deal with them either down here in Egypt. I mean, God. God said they're evil. Four hundred years I dealt with them. He wanted to bring judgment on them." But Israel never got around to the folks at (laughs) Gezer. But Pharaoh said, I'll do it. And Pharaoh came in and did what the Jews would not do, what Solomon would not do, what no Israelite could do. A pagan king did and then said, now that we have that settled, I'll give it to my son-in-law and my daughter for a wedding present, there you go. You know what the point there is, kind of a slap against Solomon and saying you know it's kind of a pathetic thing when a godless person can outdo a believer in certain things you know you see it all the time somebody will say hey man I wish that guy would get saved because he puts Christians to shame when it comes to fill in the blank compassion Forgiveness. I've heard non-Christians on PBS stations talking about how they came into us a place of forgiveness and inner healing and inner joy and they don't know Jesus. And then I know Christians who can't get to that place of peace and love and joy and forgiveness. And so you have Pharaoh here coming in and saying, I can do it. I can take care of these guys. And so uh, he did. So, in sum, really, what's happening here is it, uh, the Bible's saying Solomon's got ample labor force, endless possibilities. Verse 21, verse 15, he's got magnificent store cities uh, and royal military outposts, so he's secure. All right. Uh, verse 29, he's got a royal navy. And it's manned by the Phoenicians, man. And they, the Jews were not sailors, just like they're not cowboys. They, there are some things Jews just don't do. And, they, and they, did not, they did not go to sea. They just didn't do it. But boy, they could hire out. You know, and they, So he built ships and uh, they, they had a great navy. So he's set by the coast. He's secure. He's secure inland. This is what the point is. And and he's got this temple, and three times a year, according to the law, now apparently fulfilling spiritual obligations, bringing the folks in, and they're offering at Passover, at the, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles, also called Sukkot, right? Those were the three, and they're doing it, so it looks good. So you've got people at least outwardly worshiping the Lord. You're secure in the land. You're secure in the sea. You've got a lot of workers. Uh, Everything's good. God has blessed you. And here's what he's saying as we wrap up. There's a lot on the line to lose. Is it worth it? You got a pretty good deal. You want to throw it away? Think about it. Well, just to underscore how insanely good Solomon and Israel had it, next week we're going to meet the Queen of Sheba, who comes up 1,500 miles from Arabia. And she's going to just paint the picture from her eyes. Jesus mentions her visit. And she's going to tell the story like we didn't even know. Just to tell us this. Was it worth it, throwing all of this away? How insane it is to turn from the Lord for a little pleasure. Isn't Solomon smarter than that? That's what I've been struggling with all day long. You can be wise, I guess, to give counsel to other people. You're really smart. People say, Wait, man, that that was wise. Unless you apply it to your own life, What good is it? You're not very wise. So we close out tonight with a sober reflection. Sin is spiritual insanity. I'm gonna say that again. When you turn from God, or you harden your heart, or you play the game, or you kinda ignore God all day, you just kinda basically ignore him, do your own thing. You're not interested, you're interested in all kinds of other stuff, but not God, not the Bible, not sharing the Gospel. When we do stuff like that, that's insane. Spiritual insanity. It's like hardening your heart against pure love. It's like turning away from a generous billionaire. You know what? I don't need you, to a billionaire. Uh, To a billionaire who says, I love you. I I got a billion dollars in the bank. Do you need anything? (laughs) No, I don't need anything from you, okay? (laughs) That's insane. Who would do that? The only person I know that would do something like that is somebody who's mentally ill, and no offense to somebody who's struggling. I don't mean to uh, insult you because they're worse. That doesn't make any sense. There's no mental illness there. Biting the hand that feeds? You win the lottery and tear up the ticket? What's wrong with you? C.S. Lewis put it this way. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong for him, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of exotic vacation in tropical paradise. We settle for far too less, far too easily. The cure. So I say, walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. So I just started typing questions to ask myself after I read all of this. was cogitating on it. So here are, the, here are the questions I ask myself, all right? Where are my weaknesses, and how am I guarding those areas? Because God said, hey, man, this is a problem area for you. This is a problem for you, Ross. Watch out, heads up. Do I know what they are? And am I doing something? Number two, am I working actively to deepen my faith and develop Christian character? Christian character doesn't happen just because you have a birthday. You know, you get another year older, but if you're going to have Christian character, you've worked at it all year long. (laughs) Christian character doesn't just come with time. You have to have goals set. You have to have a determination. You have to start thinking, I have trouble with anger. And when I see myself, express myself in unbecoming ways of a Christian, I'm going to repent. I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to get some help. I'm going to go before God. And I just picked anger off the top of my head. Hey, I've got a problem with lust. I'm turning my head all the time. So now I'm going to stop turning my head. Holy Spirit, show me when I'm turning my head. I'm going to stop doing things like that. Hey, I've got a problem lying. I've got a problem cheating. I'm not very patient. Well, you think just because you had another birthday, you're going to be more patient. No. It's going to come through you looking at it, identifying it making some spiritual goals, pleading before God? Am I paying attention to my inner life and thoughts? This is, immature Christians just do nothing of this. They just let it go all day long. Lies, worldly thinking, dumb things in their head over and over and over again. Take every thought captive. Make it obey Christ. Christ. Whatever things are lovely and pure and noble and excellent and worthy of praise, let your mind dwell on these things, and then the God of peace shall be with you. Do I have a soft and tender heart toward the Lord? Ah, uh, ask yourself, and don't just say, "Yeah, I do." Yeah, yes, yes, yes. <laughs> if you're doing that, you've got problems. Just calm down. It's okay. <laughs> Ask yourself this honestly. Just take a few minutes. These are important questions. Have I given myself permission in forbidden areas? It's okay. Hey, guys will be guys. God knows I struggle with this, so it's okay. Do not give yourself permission in areas forbidden in the scriptures. Is Christ my very first love still? That's a hard one. Is he my first love? Do I consistently nourish my soul with prayer and the word of God? For me, I think that's the most important thing because if you're not doing that, you won't really have the strength or the desire or the grace to make the necessary course adjustments. That's very important. Like today, how much time did you spend really connecting with the Lord? Just an average day, let's just pick today since we happen to be in it, okay? Wednesday, what happened today? So so if we all just held up a sign right now with the amount of time that we really connected with the Lord, we read the word and we connected And we all write on the count of three, you all have a pad, right? You're going to write how many minutes that was. All right, ready? It's important. How about tomorrow? One day adds to another day, adds to another day. That's how Solomon went south. Subtly. Not paying attention. Being careless, getting puffed up with pride. And then boom. Let's pray. Father God, we've been talking about some pretty serious things tonight. Thank you for making it so easy by just saying to love you. And just Love us, love you with everything we have, and things will be okay. <laughs> help us not to overcomplicate things, that Lord. In these questions before us, just, to, just to spend some time and asking you to make things right, to help us. Apart from you, we can do nothing anyway. In Jesus' name, Amen. Teacher, what is the the greatest commandment of all? And Jesus says, hey, if you just love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love others, like with the same focus that you love yourself with, you'll fulfill them all. you take care of everything. So I've loved you. Just love me back. And we're good. Love me back with your whole heart in everything. The line that got me was not in my notes where I was saying, is it really that hard to love me? Come on, you guys. Is it really? On <laughs> the creator of the universe. I created you. Is it so hard to love someone like me? Ugh. Now I want to say, that just shows you, God, how warped we are. That's how twisted we really are. That it is hard to love someone like you but you can change us. And we repent every day. Soften my heart. Fill me with your spirit. Help me to love you more. Help me to fall in love with you tonight, tomorrow. Oops, I missed it today, God. Oh, I repent. I'm back. Here I am. Fill me with your spirit. Just hope, hope, hope. Optimism, optimism. Because of God's wonderful grace. Now, Heavenly Father, we commit ourselves to you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit and just help us to love you back, to love you by the ways that we're responding, to love you in our thoughts, to love you with how we speak and our choices we make. Is this a way to love God? Yes or no? And then we'll do it accordingly. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, God bless you. If you'd like to stay and pray, there's prayer at the cross. God bless you. We'll see you Sunday morning.